Good morning, all. My name is Adrian. If you don't know me, I'm going to take us through this next part of our gathering. Uh, in this, if you're around last week, you know that we started this series, which we've entitled "Wellbeing," uh, as it's something that's been talked about a lot in society at the moment. However, it's something that we're to understand that we have a huge answer to give to some of the questions that have been asked. Uh, of a recognition that maybe life isn't working. Maybe there's a sense that actually life needs to look slightly different to what it looks like. Uh, And we as followers of Jesus get to understand that actually Jesus came in order to give us life in full. And the more and more we understand that life in full isn't just simply about us being made right before God, but about invading the whole of our lives, the more we realize that it isn't just to transform us, but also to transform every person that we come into contact with. And so therefore, we started last week by an understanding of saying, well, Jesus came to say, I've given you life in full. So what does that fullness of life look like? And what we did is we looked, as Richard referred to the beginning and the start of this meeting at 1 Kings 19, the story of Elijah and how God seeks to restore Elijah in five significant ways in order to restore the whole of his life in order that he'd know life in full. And so we looked, and if we go to the next slide, we, we saw that actually God's desire for well-being for us is in respect to us to be understanding life in full physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and relationally. And over the coming weeks, after this week, we're going to be looking at each of these areas one by one in order that we can plumb the depths of what God desires for you and for me, in order that we understand that his call for life in full isn't simply a buzzword, but actually is to mean a way of life, something that we can taste and see is good in order to invite others to taste and see it's good. But this morning, what I want to do is actually, before we get into each of these five, I thought it was right that we look at the whole aspect of rest and that God's desire in calling us to know well-being and to know life in full is in order that we would know rest, rest in every and any circumstance. And that's where we're going to go this morning, to understand that God desires us, regardless of what's going on in our life, to know rest. Now, at this point, some of you may have noticed that I'm not wearing shoes. And so at this point, you hadn't realized that, now you do. And the reason for this is because, actually, during worship, this is a slight bizarre one, and maybe you're new here and thinking, what, is this kind of just a kind of alternative thing? No, it's actually a slightly odd one in that I felt God say to me, take your shoes off and preach without your shoes on. At that point, I thought, well, that's a kind of weird one. Why are you saying that? And I felt God say, well, for three reasons. And maybe you're sat here and thinking, what's this about? Well, actually, I believe that God is longing always to break in our lives. And so, yes, there's stuff I've prepared to share this morning, but I always want to stay open and say, God, what is it you still want to bring? And this is one of those things I feel like God wants to bring. And I felt it's in particularly three reasons that I felt he said, take off your shoes. The first is this, that when we gather together, we're to know it's home. That it's a moment where we get to just be ourselves with one another. And I felt that's really important for some to hear that today. Maybe you're new around us and you need to understand this isn't a a kind of organization. It isn't just simply a matter of coming in and and attending an event. This is something of a community of family that are seeking to build home together. A place that's safe, a place where we're built together, a place where we believe the best of one another, a place where we're spurring one another to live who we who are meant to be outside of home. And for some of us, it's a reminder that this is home together. For some of us, it's the invitation to be part of home. The second thing is I felt God say, well, if you're going to speak on rest, then um, take your shoes off and rest. 
which I thought, okay, we'll see how that goes. The third thing is this. There's a bit, and I'm going to read it out, just where Moses encounters God, who reveals himself through a burning bush. And as he approaches this burning bush, God speaks to him and says this, Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. I just believe that God wants us to understand that what we're looking at this morning isn't kind of an added extra. Isn't kind of like one of those things, well, okay, rest, that's kind of there if you want it. Now, this is, this is holy. That what we're looking at this morning is something that God desires for each and every one of us to, to live in the good of. And therefore, I felt there was this invitation to understand there is a sacredness, there's an otherness of everything we're going to look at this morning. And so it's those reasons I've taken off my shoes, and so we'll see what happens as we go on. Yes. You had the same picture? No way, that's amazing. That's Catherine just saying that during worship, you had the same picture of... Ta- of amazing. Taking shoes off, making yourself at home. Isn't it good, isn't it? You think when God... Obviously, God kind of wanted to make sure... He was, I was on that row, and then just behind, he says, come on, he might not get it. Let's... <laughs> It's fun, isn't it? Uh, I love these moments because you think you, you can't really make that stuff up. It's just what God does. It's that sense that God is one who's longing to break into your life and my life. And often comes in those whispers where suddenly in that moment we think, wow, God, you are really here. Um, continue. Anyway, rest. Before we look at rest, we have to understand there's a reality of the lives that we're living in at this point in time. And I'd say the reality is like this, that we live within a culture that is 100% 24-7. You can go anywhere at any point and get anything at any point. We live within a moment of uh, kind of culture where technology is revolutionizing everything about who we are and what we can be. How we contact one another, how we gain information, how we uh, connect And the truth of it is this, that technology has these amazing benefits. However, it also is at this moment where we don't quite know what it's going to fully mean. And so it isn't that we can kind of look and say, well, this is what technology does, and we know exactly the output of it. Therefore, this is what you need to do to navigate it. We're actually learning continuously of of how do we do it. We have phones that tell us at any point everything we need to know. And we're plugged in wherever we are, and there's that sense of being plugged in is both good and bad. And we're having to work out what does it look like in terms of technology. I'd say it's also in respect to work, that work-life patterns look very different. That we live within a moment because of uh, financial pressures that if you're paid a lot, a lot is expected of you. If you're in a lower-income job, then you're expected to probably work numbers of jobs just to make ends meet. It's incredible pressure around employment. There's a pressure in terms of gaining employment. I've said, actually, you need to do all you can to get this. I think we're in a moment in terms of education. You only have to talk to anyone involved in education to say that this is a system where there's an incredible amount of pressure put on people, a pressure to achieve, because if you don't achieve, guess what's going to happen? And it's just this pressure in the environment. There's a pressure in terms of just life of often feeling like it keeps spinning the plates. And as you've got your plates of spinning, things are going to get added to your life to just keep spinning it. And the most impressive people are the people who can spin the most plates. 
So we live in this kind of time and era where actually there's just lots and lots of different pressures on us as individuals. We're also living in moments of uncertainty. Uncertainty that I don't have to talk lots about this one. Just watch the news for 24 hours and you just realize that we're in a country in a moment of history where there is a lot of uncertainty and questions around that. And therefore, it's important when we get to look at rest, we understand the reality we're living with, but also to understand, therefore, that rest isn't something we're to live thinking it's a kind of destination we occasionally stop off at, but rather rest is an invitation for a way of life. And that's what I want us to see this morning. And to do that, I want to look at a very familiar psalm, a very familiar psalm that was written by a shepherd about a shepherd. A shepherd that actually one day would come and live on earth and be a shepherd not of sheep but of people, whose name was Jesus, who declared that he was the good shepherd. And in it refers back to this amazing song that reveals what the shepherd is like and what the shepherd does. And that's Psalm 23. And I'll just look at this psalm just for a moment and then we're going to explore it in a bit more detail. This is David, the shepherd of shepherds, talking about the ultimate shepherd, Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David was a man who knew what it was to rest. And understood that rest wasn't something that was occasional, but rest was something that was going to permeate every circumstance that life has to offer. And in this, I want us to see that rest is available through a yoke, through a staff, and through a banquet. And where I hope we'll end up is then actually at a table, where we'll then get to, in that table, participate in communion. And through communion, receive Jesus again as the ultimate shepherd who longs to bring the rest that we need this morning in this very moment. So let's start off with the yoke then. In the yoke we find in verse 2 and 3, says, David says this, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me besides quiet waters, and he refreshes my soul. David understands that there is a daily rhythm to live with in terms of rest for every single one of us, where God is asking us to pause and to draw alongside those green pastures and still waters. Now, in it, actually, we live in this amazing city. Now, the thing with green pastures and still waters, you don't tend to think of cities. Where I've, if you watch, if you follow me on Instagram, you know I've been on this for about a week or two. I've sought to go to every space I can find within a mile radius of my house that is green. And in it, I've found green pastures and still waters. God has crafted us to be in this phenomenal city that allows us to know something of what David spoke about. Now, in it, it isn't therefore the application here is, okay, great, let's rush to fields and rivers. No, that's not it, though it could be a place where it's actually causing you to step out of life. 
The point of it here is this, the invitation to pause within your daily existence. And in the pause is the key and most significant thing that we're invited to allow happen. And that is for the shepherd to refresh our souls, the very core of who we are. That's the invitation here, to live daily lives of lives that are being refreshed in the very core of who we are by who Jesus is. Now, in that, we could then say, well, what does it mean then to have our souls refreshed? And that's where we kind of think, yeah, you call this yoke, and the yoke isn't in this passage, therefore, what are you talking about? Well, the yoke isn't here, but it is when ultimately Jesus came on the earth, because Jesus talked about refreshing our souls, restoring our souls, resting our souls. In Matthew 11, verses 28 to 29, where he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, the wonder of who Jesus is in his life, death, and resurrection is that he transforms everything about you and everything about me. Because in it, there's this ultimate sense of rest that Jesus gives us in the very core of our being, and that's revealed through the cross. There's so many things we can look at in respect to what Jesus achieved through his death and resurrection. And so we can look at it in respect to our our rightness with God. We can look at it in respect of our adoption, therefore, as children of God. But I want us to look at it in terms of this exchange of yokes. Because one of the ways we can look at it is say, actually, there's a yoke that each and every one of us has of our own making that Jesus wants to say, now take this one off because I want to give you a different yoke. And I want us just to look at that for a moment because it's an understanding the ultimate way God, Jesus is giving us a yoke. It then allows us this invitation to understand how we get to know rest for our souls on a day-to-day basis. And so, Colin, this is an illustration I've done before in a way, so some of you are going to be thinking, yeah, I've seen this before. Great. Are we applying it? Um, that's why I always live with it. I think I'll keep doing it until I know we're all living with it. Anyway, Colin's going to come and help me for a moment. And then I want to just introduce us to the first yoke, a yoke of our making, a yoke of my making, in actual fact, this morning, with a bit of help from Emma. Um, in it, what we discover about this yoke of our making is one where we've curved and said, actually, we're gonna, it's all down to us. And so this yoke is all about our effort that everything is down to what am I going to do and how am I going to achieve it? Every day is like, this is all down to me. It's then a yoke that's all about approval of saying, actually, is my effort ever going to be good enough? Am I going to be good enough? How do I compare? How do I compete with others in order that I know ultimately that I'm good enough? And with it brings with this sense of fear, a fear of actually, am I ever going to be good enough? A fear of even in the moments where I feel that this was great, there's still tomorrow. And I have no control over it. I don't know what it's going to do to me. And then there's ultimately this sense of insecurity. An insecurity that says, but, but who am I? And what is it that defines me? Is everything that I'm seeking to be and do, is that, is that it? Is that who I am? And the thing with this yoke is it just weighs us down. Colin's just this great guy who will just impersonate being weighed down by this yoke. And the thing is, Jesus understands that this yoke, however much we carry it, causes us to just be weighed down. 
and it causes us to never know rest, but only to know restlessness. And Jesus says, well, I came, you see, to remove this yoke. In actual fact, we can see it, and it becomes this thing that Jesus takes away on the cross and says, I deal with this yoke and take it away. I put it on myself. You find at the cross that Jesus is so restless as he deals with the things that we were restless in. In order that he could do what will in his resurrection offer us peace, offer us wholeness, offer us rest, the rest that he spoke about here of the soul. But you see, it isn't that Jesus then leaves us with nothing, because to leave us with nothing then causes us to then think, but, but I could go back to that yoke. Rather, he gives us a new yoke, a yoke, a yoke of his making, a yoke with padding, um, that we're going to turn around because I've realized it's the other way. And what we discover with this yoke is rather than it being down to our effort, it's all about God's grace. God's unmerited favor towards you. That it's always never about like, this is just down to you today. It's actually God saying, no, I'm with you. I've got everything you need through everything you're going to do throughout the whole of today. It's about acceptance rather than this thinking, am I going to be okay? Am I good enough? God's saying forever, you're unconditionally accepted. Forever loved. From the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep and throughout your sleep, you're one who's eternally forever accepted. One who knows peace rather than fear because we know that God's in control. Therefore, we don't need to fear what tomorrow is going to bring. We know that, God, you've made me whole and your desire is that therefore I can trust in you for every day because you're never going to leave me, whatever life throws at me. And then there's this yoke of identity. Rather thinking like, who am I? We realize actually who I am is a child of God. One forever loved, one who now gets to exist with an eternal community of love. That's who I am. And Jesus says, this is the yoke that we're to live with. This is the yoke of our salvation. But the danger is this. And this is why this part of the psalm is so important. And I'm going to labor this one for a bit longer because I think this is the one that we struggle with most. Is actually, we need to pause continuously every day to ensure that we're wearing the right yoke. Because so often we find ourselves going through our day picking up this yoke and thinking, no, no, if I work harder, maybe I'll be good enough. Actually, I'm just totally overwhelmed with my day, fearful of what's going to be. And I'm left with this deep sense of insecurity. And the desire is in the pause for us to rest from this. To rest and take it off and continuously come back and put this one on. And so what that means is daily I have to come, and it may not be to green pastures and still waters, though I use those moments. But moments by day, within my day of just pausing and saying, what yoke am I wearing? And in that moment I say, Jesus, I rest from, thinking this is all down to me. And I go specifically through each thing and saying, Jesus, I'm seeking to now rest from this and giving it to you. And I'm going to rest in what you've given me, this yoke. Thank you, Colin. And that's the challenge. Are we living lives day to day that are seeking to rest from the old yoke and rest in 
this new yoke that Jesus has for us. Because when we rest in that, that's where the rest for our very souls exists. But the amazing thing about this psalm is it isn't just about the day-to-day. It's also about this every circumstance rest that we can possibly face, which brings us to the staff. And in the staff, what we find here is that David writes this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, there are the moments of our lives where we know what it is to navigate just this pause moments throughout our days of green pastures, still waters, resting in the yoke that he has given us. But there are seasons that we face that are like valleys. It isn't that we've stopped moving. We know that we're moving, but we know that the life circumstances we're dealing with are like a valley. A valley is like somewhere where you you know you're going along a path, but it can feel pretty oppressive sometimes. We just see the banks either side. We can't quite see the surroundings ahead of us or beyond the valley. All we know is that we're in the valley. And that valley can come in different points. It can come just through life pressures. Whether that be through employment or seeking employment, through health concerns, through relationships, through a moment of just realizing actually that life isn't quite going how I expect it. And in those moments, we can find ourselves just thinking it just Feels like I'm stepping forward, but it's like a valley. I remember for me, I think the valley was about five to six years. Five to six years, though I love all of my children very, very dearly, that two of them never slept. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, no, they did sleep. Yeah, they did sleep a little bit. They used to sleep for about two to three hours a night max. And those two to three hours were generally after I'd taken them for a drive And I would then stop off at a service station and sleep for an hour. I don't do that for pity. I don't do it to give hopelessness to everyone who's a potential parent here or someone who's facing sleepless nights. What I I do is just say it was real. It felt like a valley. I knew that we were walking, but I knew I was very, very tired. I knew that it didn't feel like it was ending, and it felt like the five years was something that caused my hair to go very grey. And, and it, there are moments where I woke up in a service station thinking, whoa, where am I? Thinking, when's this going to end? And what's amazing is in the valley, God meets us with the yoke. doesn't ignore that. He says, still make sure you've got the right yoke. But then he adds to it. He adds to it the staff. Now, what is it that God brings in the staff? When the staff, he brings comfort. He comes and meets us where we're at and causes us to know that he is with us. And says, actually, I've got love, mercy, and kindness for you here. I tell you what, the moments I would wake up, I tell you, the, the, the darkest valley moments were these, were generally a Sunday morning, waking up at 4 a.m. at Pershaw Road um, service station uh, by the M42, thinking, 
In three hours' time, I need to be at Oasis. <laughs> those are the moments. And in those moments, what did I do? I didn't kind of think, I know, I'll make everyone feel guilty when I arrive on Sunday. Say, hey, you wouldn't believe what I've just heard this last night. Um, no, in those moments, I knew God's comfort. I just knew him come and say, I'm with you. Receive my love and mercy afresh today. That in these moments, the staff speaks of protection. A shepherd had a staff not only to say he is with and to guide his sheep, but also to hit away, to beat off things that could harm them. It's so important to know that we have a shepherd who's out to protect us. That in the moments in the valley where we can feel vulnerable, God is, is there seeking to protect us. But it's also that he is with us. That's what I love about this. It isn't that he's saying, do you know what, I'm going to get you out of the valley. No, he says, no, I'm going to be with you in the valley every step of the way. And for some of us here this morning, we know what it is to be in the valley. But do we know what it is to know the shepherd is there alongside us? Because that's the rest he offers, that he's with us, he protects us, he comforts us. Which brings us to the last part. So we get the yoke, we get the staff. But then we get the banquet. David writes this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a difference between the green pastures to the valley. And there's a difference from the valley to the presence of enemies. What I think is interesting in this one, in the valley we're still moving. In the presence of enemies, it feels like we're stationary. Because sometimes there's things that come in our lives. It might be that suddenly, dramatically, circumstances change. It may be we actually know that there are individuals against us. We literally have a enemy that is against us. It may be in respect to false accusation. It may be in respect to sickness, both physically or mentally. And in that moment, what we realize that we know something or someone that is opposing us. And in that moment, you know that you can't just push forward. It's just there camped out. And I can think, and I've got time today to tell lots of stories, but I know the moment of feeling like there's this, well, it's not even feeling, it was. <laughs> it was a moment of opposition or enemy. Whether that was through false accusation, I could tell you numbers of stories of that. Of people who I knew were out to get me. I could tell you stories about that. Of people I love struggling with sickness. I can tell you loads of stories of that one. And in that moment where it feels like it's an enemy, an opposition that's directly there, what I love about the shepherd is he says, it isn't going to immediately change. I'm not going to remove the enemy. Rather, I'm coming to bring a banquet for you in their presence. And it changes everything. That suddenly the enemy isn't something to avoid. It's to know actually even in this place, in this opposition, I get to know rest. And the rest that's offered through the banquet, it's just amazing. So we find that this rest is one that serves us, 
that God longs to meet us and provide us with everything that we need. What I love about that is it's general. Some of you are thinking, well, how? How does he provide? What is it going to look like? What it looks like is exactly what you need, what, exactly what I need, because God tailors the banquet for us to serve us with exactly what we need in that very moment. But then it's also that he comes and strengthens us. David talks about oil being poured out. Oil throughout scripture is this moment of revealing who the Holy Spirit is. And in the Holy Spirit being poured out, it isn't some fuzzy feeling. I think sometimes I get concerned that we think, oh, the Holy Spirit's here. Ooh, kind of mystical. Ooh. That's not that. Scripture's very clear about what the Holy Spirit is doing when he's coming and welling up from within as well as pouring up. From... That's what I love also just to say in terms of scriptural references. The Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, is in you. That's a reality. It's not suddenly sometimes the Holy Spirit pops up. Remember me. No, no, the Holy Spirit is living within you, within me. And he's continuously wanting to, yes, well up, not pop up, well up within. Well up within that we'd be like rivers bursting out. So there's that. But it's also the Holy Spirit's not only wanting to well up, also wanting to pour out upon. So it's like, I'm getting you one way or the other. But when the Holy Spirit is doing that, he's longing to come and bring things that the oil speaks of. So the oil speaks of authority. Look through the whole of Old Testament. We haven't got time to do this. But the oil of anointing was used to say, this is someone who has authority from God. That in the moment as we're facing our opposition, God comes and says, I've given you authority. This is one that comes to bring strength, strength through identity. The Spirit comes in order that we'd know that God is our Father. Romans 8. Spirit comes in so we can cry out, Abba, Father. Spirit affirms our identity. We're no longer slaves to fear. We're now sons of God, children of God. The Spirit brings that freedom. So it's identity. It's also in respect to power. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Ephesians 1, is now living within you, within me. That's power. And I don't take that very seriously, to be honest. I think I need to take that very, very more seriously. That doesn't make any sense. I need to take it more seriously. And I wonder if you do. That the power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is in you and in me. But it's not just power, it's also joy. The Spirit comes in order that there would be joy. Don't you love it that you find in Acts these moments of disciples being imprisoned for following Jesus? And what happens is the Spirit comes and then what? They just start praising God. It's just an overflow of joy when the Spirit comes. Find throughout the Old Testament these promises that God will turn mourning to dancing. Why? Because the Spirit comes and brings joy. Not, not a joy that's like, oh, I'm a charismatic and everything's a bit sucky, I'm facing opposition, but oh, it's not that. It's that moment of depths of joy that can be laughter, but sometimes it's just, you know what, this isn't all it is. And there's this deep reassurance that wells up joy. That causes me to understand that I have great delight in God because he delights in me. But it's not just strength. It's also that he comes to sustain us. I say he sustains us in two ways. I need to speed up slightly. Sustains us in two ways. Firstly is this. He says, 
your cup will overflow. We're British, we don't like that. Because we want to keep it in order. You never allow your cup to overflow. You actually kind of make sure you've got a good kind of five mil from the top. That's totally wrong, isn't it? Because if you overflow, if you fill it to the top, you might spill it. Don't want to spill it, you could put it on the floor. We don't do that. And God says, no, I want to come and fill you till you overflow. Why? Because God never wanted this to be contained. The rest that you and I get to taste and see was never for us, just only. It's for the whole world. You find it in Pentecost. So you find this bunch of believers locked in a room saying, oh, no, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Because Jesus had just returned to the Father, just in case you didn't know that. And in that moment, as they're locked in a room, the Spirit comes. As soon as the Spirit comes, they find themselves out on the street telling people about who he is. And from that point on, that's the, that's the sense of church history. That God has continuously been given more than is needed in order that it can spill out on a world that's desperate for it. But the problem is this, just as a quick aside, is that we as followers of Jesus keep trying to get back in the room <laughs> and lock the doors and say, no, no, let's stay here and make it all nice and keep it to ourselves. And God says, no, no, I never wanted it to be filled to five mil from the top. I want you to be those that are filled to overflowing. And what I love about this is also in the presence of our enemies. Therefore, who's it going to spill out onto? It spills out both on our enemies, but those who watch us. People watch how we deal with opposition. And in moments like this, suddenly the rest that we get to enjoy of the spirit that's coming in and giving us life, we get to spill out over us that touches and engages and challenges people around us. See, Jesus offers us a rest in every and every circumstance. So my question is this to end with. How do you need to experience rest today? Is it the yoke? Is it the staff? Is it the banquet? I'm not talking about tomorrow. I'm talking about now. How do you need to receive it now, today? Because what I want us to do is we're now going to come to the table. And the table's where Jesus gave us this incredible moment of communion where we deeply connect with who he is to who we are. Where we come and use symbolism of, of juice and bread and say, actually, Jesus, I recognize in this juice, I remember your death. I remember in this bread, I remember your death and your brokenness. But I also remember in this juice and this bread, a moment where I get to know that you're not just dead, you're alive. And in living, you've come to offer me rest. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take communion. There's going to now be, just because it's trying to work out how to do it in a cinema, it's slightly awkward. So there's going to be trays of bread and trays of little cups for everyone. And what I'd ask you to do is take a piece of bread and take a cup of juice. And we're going to take this together. And in it, if you'd say, I'm not someone who is a follower of Jesus, I'd say, well, in that case, this probably isn't going to mean anything to you. So please don't take them. Uh, because it's kind of like, what on earth does that mean? Uh, Rather, I'd say, this is a moment to say, Jesus, if you're real, would you come and reveal yourself to me? But if you're also someone who's saying, well, 
I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I really want this rest. So if I took this, is it like me saying, Jesus, I want you? Yeah, it is like that. And maybe today is a moment where you say, in me taking this cup and this bread, Jesus, I'm saying, for what I know of your death and your resurrection, I want in. I want you to be the very center of my being. And if that's you, I'd say, please take the juice and the bread. It's just a way of saying, Jesus, I want you. But for many of us, we know that we've centered our lives on Jesus. And this is a moment where we're saying, Jesus, I come and remember what you've done in order that I could know rest now. And as I eat and as I drink, I take hold of the rest that you offer me. The rest that you offer me in the yoke that you offer me. Or maybe it's the rest that you offer me through your staff. Or maybe it's the rest that you offer me through your banquet. Now, can I just ask us just to take a moment just to administer this? Um, Someone will wave at me once we've all got some. Um, But can I ask us while we're waiting, why don't we just close our eyes and just say, God, this is a moment I want to take seriously before you. And also just say, God, in this, as I take this action of bread and juice, I also want to know that this is not just something physical, it's something spiritual. Where God, in this moment, I'm going to be receiving the rest that you offer. And maybe just before, be saying, God, as I take this, this is the rest that I need in this moment. practical thing obviously the little cups have little lids be careful as you take them off because you'll throw it over the person in front um just to say uh, should we all just stand i think there's just sometimes a power in both individually but collectively coming before god in communion uh just can i ask us just to take the cup Take your lid off, get the bread. And I say, with the bread, let's just take the bread now and say, Jesus, I remember your body restless in order that I could know rest. Let's eat the bread. Let's take the cup remember his death but resurrection says I drink this I receive the rest that you offer me I'm just going to pray for us as we end Jesus I thank you that you are our great shepherd and I thank you that even within 21st century UK your desire is for us to live lives daily that experience your rest, that know your rest, and know that rest both through the yoke, through the staff in the valley, and through the banquet in moments of opposition. And I pray, Jesus, would we be those that seek to live lives daily, that enjoy that rest, that search out that rest, and that as we enjoy it, I pray it would spill out onto many others. I really ask that for your glory, Jesus. Amen.